strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. We appreciate you spending some time here. Uh, we are uh, doing our best to keep you as informed as we can about the election. We're going to try to give you all sides of things. Even I will. You know where my opinions are, but I want you to be an informed voter. Had a great conversation with Stephen Richer, our county recorder, earlier today about the dates and the times and what's necessary for voting. Uh, early voting has already happened in the presidential preference election. Uh, you need to be party declared. You have to be a Republican or a Democrat to vote in the presidential preference election, which happens this month. But for the primary, you can be an independent or party non-declared voter and choose a primary to vote in. Then the dates and everything are in that interview. Go to KTAR.com. It'll be on the podcast. And while you're at it, subscribe to the KTAR YouTube channel. Uh, we are going to have interviews and things up there for you all year long, not just politically, but especially for the elections of so you can be an informed voter. So please uh, subscribe when you get a chance. I want to talk about the Michigan primary because is it more important? Is it important for either candidate? Let's start there. Is it important today? Is this an important day for Joe Biden or for um, uh, Donald Trump? Is it a foregone conclusion for either one of them? Uh, our future state's just a formality when it comes to Donald Trump. As, as Stephen Richer, I asked him this question, how many candidates? So if you go, if you've gotten an early ballot, you know this already. But if you go to the polls, if you are, let's say, a Republican, registered Republican voter, and you're going to go to the polls and you're going to vote for your preference for president, how many people right now it's Nikki Haley and it is Donald Trump are the two candidates that are still in the race officially? How many people are going to be on the ballot? I asked that of Stephen Richer. Here's what he said. There are nine, and that is a frustration. And the reason for that is because unless a candidate officially withdraws by a certain date, which has already elapsed, then that person will be on the ballot. And so a lot of people will suspend their campaign but not file the official withdrawal paperwork. And so, yes, it is possible to vote for somebody, and it will be tabulated, but that will go towards a person who's not even running anymore. So, for instance, I've even seen some people who are such diehard Ron DeSantis fans that even though he's not running anymore they're still marking his oval when you look at this uh and and i guess that's part of it as well you're still going to state you know your preference which is exactly what this election is for but this is also why states continue to move up their primaries or their presidential preference elections in order to be relevant because we all know that the early states that tend to make these decisions when all of the candidates are in the race those are the ones that seem to be the most important and the most relevant are those candidates, uh, are those elections? So Arizona, is it, a, is it just going to be a formality by the time, which is not far from where we're going to be voting here pretty quickly, less than a month away, are we going to have, is it going to be relevant? Could it be that Nikki Haley suspends her campaign by then? She says she's in it for the long haul. She wants to go to Super Tuesday and let the voters decide. And I'm not disagreeing with her necessarily. If she said for the Republicans out there that want a different choice, I'm going to give them that different choice. There's one way to look at it and said in the last primary in South Carolina, she still got 40 percent of the Republican vote. But when you look at that and you think, okay, you got 40%, which means you lost by 20% in your home state, that's another way of looking at it. But in the end, we have to decide who we want to best run this country. Today, former President Trump and current President Biden will both be at the border. It is one of the obviously one of the key issues. It's one of the reasons this, in my opinion, 
is a Hail Mary for the Biden campaign. And the reason why is because people think his handling of the border have been horrible. We're going to be talking more about that in a few moments, so I don't want to get too specific about this. But is this part of what's happening? The president on the economy has also taken a beating on the economy, um, politically speaking. Because inflation remains very high. And when they talk about inflation coming down, I want you to understand something. The American people understand it intellectually, but when you when you think about it, inflation coming down means things are still getting more expensive. They're just not getting more expensive as fast as they were. So how long will it take the American families – individuals as well, but the American family. And that's what I think more about. Um, I'm in a different place in my life. I never imagined I'd be where I am now in a place where I live by myself. I only have to worry about myself. I don't have kids to raise. I don't have that expense, but my kids do. My kids are raising kids. And so for them to feed your children, kids don't get less expensive. Their clothes don't get less expensive. Their the feeding them doesn't get less expensive. The activities outside of school and their school activities don't get less expensive. It is very expensive to raise children. I think about families. The average family is still paying thousands and thousands of dollars more to live the same life that they did just a few years ago. How long uh, and how much of a very good booming economy do we have to have for that to catch up where your quality of life matches where it was a few years ago? So when it, it, for them to, to question, well, we've got this great economy, people are working. There's no doubt about that. And I'm talking about this in the con- in the in the context of an election. The president of the United States is in a rare um, position. I don't, you know, I, it certainly hasn't happened in my lifetime, but is in a rare position because he is running against someone that has been the president of the United States. Normally, you have a challenger that tells you what they're going to do and all the bright uh, future ideas they have. Barack Obama was brilliant at this. He was he was a fairly new person to uh, national politics, certainly. Um, but he went on this messaging of hope and change. And America loved it. It was the idea that we have been dealing with the same politicians for decades and decades and decades. And when he ran against John McCain, John McCain had been in the Senate for such a long time and he was connected, whether it was fair or unfair, they connected what would be the McCain economy to the Bush economy. And we know where that was at that time with housing prices and everything else. So it was a brilliant campaign, but the message was we have got a future. We are the future. We are who we've been waiting for. And it it resonated with people. The unique situation for President Biden right now is he's running against somebody that's got a presidential resume. So not only does does President Biden have to defend his four years, what will be four years in office, he's got to do the what they do is it's called. And this is what people in campaigns call it. Promises made, promises kept. I told you this is what I was going to do. And I did it. And in the areas where I didn't do it, this is why I couldn't do it. But we can do it in the next four years. And these are the great results of me keeping those promises. He's got a big hill to climb. The border is a disaster. People are still paying a lot more money for things. He's got a big hill to climb, but he's running against somebody that also brings a resume with him and baggage. And I talk about both of them having those things because that if this is if it keeps the way it's going and these are the two choices, America has got to look at that. What am I getting and what baggage do I get with it? There's good and bad in everything. 
Who is best equipped to lead the nation? And is that person best equipped to lead the nation bringing so much baggage with them that I'm not vote? I can't vote for that. That's a question. If, if there is a felony conviction of the former president, does that baggage change the minds of enough independent voters where they will say, I don't like Joe Biden whatsoever, but I can't vote for somebody that's been convicted of a crime? I don't know the answer. But these are the fair questions that the American voters have to ask. So today you've got and we're going to get into this in just a moment. You've got the former president and the current president at the border today. I think that tells you the desperation from the current president, because out of sight, out of mind, going to the border is going to put a shine a bright light on what's happening. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment. What will the president of the United States do when he goes to the border today? What is it that he's going to say that's going to convince the American people that he's the person for the job for the next four years? We're going to get to that coming up in just one moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Just talked about the border or about the presidential election and the races that are happening right now. And let's talk about how it pertains to the border, both the president and the former president at the border today. I think this is a Hail Mary for the Biden campaign, and I'll tell you why. I believe I'm not going out on a limb. I'm sure other people have said it well before I did. I think President Biden is going to go to the border today, and he is going to say that Look what the Republicans are doing. They should pass the bill. They should have passed what happened in the United States Senate. By the way, there were a bunch of Democrats against it. But is this, is there any way possible that he can sell this to the American people? I don't believe he can. I don't believe he can. But I don't think he has any other choice. 53% of Americans, this is up from 35. It's almost a 20% jump since Joe Biden took office. During the Trump administration, there were 35% of Americans that approved of building a border wall. 35%. In the past three years of this administration, three years plus now of this administration, that has jumped to over 50%. It is almost a 20 percentage point jump in the people that actually would approve a border wall at our southern border. It shows the American displeasure with what's happening at the southern border. So the president of the United States is, has, has no choice but to address this. I'm gonna go back in time um, when the vice president of the United States, Vice President Harris, was charged with being the border czar, and it was her job to address the situation and fix it. And I don't know how many of you remember that. And why is that not a part of the narrative? She was charged with fixing this problem over two years ago. And it was all rhetoric and laughter. And and and, and, and listen, I give her a break. I'm not one to go after people for, for dumb things. She has a nervous tick that many have, and it's bad. And it's something that people that work with her should really work with her about. When she gets nervous, when there's a situation that kind of unnerves her, she's got this weird laugh. And many times it's laughter at an inappropriate time. And so it makes her appear as if she doesn't really care about the issue. So she was questioned many times. 
about are you going to go to the border? Are you going to go to the border? And it seemed for a while that was the narrative and she knew she was going to face it. And there's one significant moment where she was approaching reporters and they asked her if she was going to go to the border and she giggled in that uncomfortable laugh and said, not today. And it was seemed very sarcastic and very cavalier. And so she ended up having to go to the border in order to say that she did it. And we all knew that it was going to check the box. And that's exactly what happened. She went to El Paso, Texas. She shook some hands. She took some pictures. She gave a very short little commentary. And then she left and she never went back. And that is, uh, no one's talked about it since. But the border has become so bad. It has become so overwhelmed that now the president has no choice. 53% of American voters say that they want a border wall built. So I'm just telling you tomorrow on the show, we're going to play back what the president had to say, and it will be filled with the narrative that the Republicans are failing to act on a piece of legislation. Therefore, it's their fault that the border isn't fixed. Now, what's funny about that is the president could do he the what 80 something executive orders that he wrote to rescind the policies of the Trump administration he could reenact half of those if he wanted to right now and people know that people are aware of the politics he is losing on the issue he is losing on the politics of the issue That doesn't mean I believe that the American people are going to carry Donald Trump into the White House on their shoulders and say, we believe your plan is the right way to fix the border either. I don't know that the American people feel that way. But when you've got all of these and this is the perfect storm of what's happened. Dr. Phil went on The View and Dr. Phil schooled The View on the border. And he said, we are we are using tax dollars and we are sending children into what we know is labor camps and prostitution. And we know we're doing it. That's what's happening. The American people, this is not Republican, Democrat, the American people look at that and say this is a complete abuse of children and it should be stopped at the border. And it hasn't been. When there's a murder in Georgia and a congresswoman from California says we can't judge everything just on that. Well, there's another person in the country illegally just in the last couple of days that has been arrested for molesting a child. It doesn't mean and this ridiculous defense that I have to give this disclaimer that I'm saying that everybody crossing the southern border of the United States are rapists and murderers. That's not at all what I'm saying. But the American people recognize the danger of when we cannot differentiate between the people that are crossing our border that are criminals, that are murderers, that are rapists, that are child molesters, that are terrorists. If we can't make that distinction, if we don't have a vetting process that makes that distinction, that's a national security issue. And we're not making that distinction. We are souring on immigration in this country, and it's detrimental to the president's party. If we're going to talk politics that how it pertains to the border, the president is ruining public opinion. Do you think it was a majority of Republicans that made up that 35 percent who approved the border? It was a border wall. It was. That means of the other 65 percent of people that were against it, they were predominantly Democrats and independent voters. And now you've got 53 percent of American voters that believe building a border wall is the right thing to do. 
Where do you lay that blame? And how does the the current president go to the border today and with a straight face convince the American people that the piece of legislation that was created in the Senate would have solved this problem? And he has no power to do anything outside of that. That's a big hill to climb. That is a major hill to climb. All right, coming up in a moment, the Supreme Court is going to make a decision on the First Amendment. We're going to talk about some other nuances in the First Amendment issue. We'll do it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I watched a great video of how he wrote this song, him describing to people how he wrote this song. Really interesting and in how he, the concept of how he wrote it and even the chords and how he played them. Fascinating if you're a music fan. And by the way, my week just got longer because I said the president was going to the border today and they're going Thursday. It's not Thursday, it's Tuesday. My week just got two days longer, so I'm going to be grumpy tomorrow. Um, so we'll we'll talk more about the border in the 11 o'clock hour. The First Amendment issue is a big one to me because I've never been, I look back, even in the days, go back to, let's go back to my roots in things. Um, I make no bones about my faith. I have my own failings, so I don't preach to anybody about my beliefs, but I have very strong beliefs in my faith. Um but I also believe that you have a right to say and do things. I also love this country very much. I love the state of Arizona very much. I think one of the most offensive things you can do is to disfigure or destroy the flag, the American flag or our state flag. And yet I do believe you have a right to do it. I think it's horrible. I think it's disgusting and despicable to do. And I would call you out for it for doing it. But I don't think you should be arrested because you do. Um Going back to when I was younger, there was a big uproar about music. If you remember at the time, Al Gore's wife, Tipper Gore, um, they wanted labels put on music that was inappropriate for kids so that it was a warning to kids. And it was all about the First Amendment and free speech. Uh, also, when it came to art, there was a uh, there was an artist named Maplethorpe who did homoerotic art and is exactly what you think it would be. And it was offensive to many people when they even said then art is supposed to make you um, think and it's supposed to make you feel emotion. And sometimes that emotion is anger. Uh, there was art exhibits that would that, in my opinion, would desecrate the American flag. There was one art exhibit that had the American flag pouring out of a toilet. There was another art gallery that took the American flag and laid it as a doormat in front of the gallery that in order for you to walk into the gallery, you had to step on the American flag, and many people were offended by that. Um, there's the famous artwork that was a mason jar full of urine in which a rosary was dropped in and the crucifix was dropped in. The crucifix is the most holy symbol in the Catholic Church. And so there was offended many, many people in the question of whether or not the First Amendment allowed for this to happen. So we've had conversations about pushing the limits of free speech forever. So now the Supreme Court's going to take up a case where is fate does Facebook and Instagram and other social media platforms do they have the right to push down one form of speech? Now, here's the rub in this. If it is shown that Facebook, Instagram, or other platforms, and I'm just using them as an example, are allowing one political view to be unfettered and the other political view to be questioned and pushed down, is that a violation? 
When it comes to political advertising, we are required, um, and as far as I know, we're still required to do this, that we're required to air political ads uncensored and unedited. And we're required if we take a political ad, we can't say we're only going to take Republican ads or Democrat ads or whatever. If we're going to take ads for national elections, we have to take them all. If we're going to take ads for statewide elections, we have to take them all. So is there censorship in saying if you're if they can prove that social media platforms favor one political view over another political view, is that a violation of one group's First Amendment rights in uh, Seattle? Four comedians were canceled from a comedy club. Now, I will tell you when it comes to comedy, I love brutal comedy, even if it's something that I go, oh, like, you know, there are times you do that. When you listen to Dave Chappelle, Ricky Gervais is another one that is brutal, but it, 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 just brilliant. I, I just think these are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant minds that are able to uh, a Bill Burr. You listen to them. They're very aggressive in the way they deliver things and they talk about topics. A Bill Burr does a uh, a routine and I know that I can't make it funny, but he talks about abortion and how he believes a woman has a right to choose and half the crowd cheers. And he said, but I still think you're killing a baby. And and the crowd, other half of the crowd cheers, but he's able to take that topic and twist it into a way that's that's that people laugh at as much as much as that sounds to you like it's impossible. He does it. That's the brilliance of stand up comedy, that they can take something, turn it on its head and make you laugh at something horrible for just a minute. You're not laughing at a person. You're not mocking a disability. You're not. We are laughing at something because they've made it funny. There's a brilliance in stand up comedy that I wish I possessed. I can tell a joke. I can be funny. That's a different level of people that can make that observation and turn it on its head. So if four comedians were canceled in Seattle because local progressives complained, so liberals complained they didn't like the humor, so they canceled these comedians. Are they allowed to do that? Is there a case to be made here for these four comedians to say, but if they were on stage and making fun of Republicans and making fun of the GOP and making fun of conservatives, making fun of the religious right, you'd be okay with that. But I can't do this. And I would say from my personal belief system, I'm not talking about the Constitution because I'm not a I'm not a lawyer. My personal belief is you can do whatever you want. If you're going to alienate half of your audience or if you believe that's not half of your audience, but to save your audience, you're not going to allow those comedians on stage. They know what they're getting, in my opinion. I think it's a dumb thing to do. But do they have the ability to do it? You're the one that pays the rent and the light bill. You're the one that pays the bartenders and the waitresses and the people cooking the food. And if people stop showing up because you're doing it, that's on you. You have a right to do that. Hulu has decided that they're not going to take ads from a Texas church because of their uh, religious indoctrination policy. Do they have a right to say, I'm not letting you cross that line on my platform? Sure, I guess they do. In my mind, they do. That's they're protected by the First Amendment. But that also means that religious organizations can do what's happened. I'll go to the other extreme for a moment on this issue and when it comes to religious freedoms. When a baker says, I don't want to make a cake for a gay wedding, I don't want to participate in a gay wedding, they have an absolute right to say that. And then people, a couple that says, we were going to pay this guy hundreds of dollars, if not more than that, hundreds of dollars to bake a cake for our wedding. And he is so homophobic 
that he's not going to bake that cake and you want to blast that on Yelp and all of these other websites and it ruins that person's business, that's the cost of doing business. But to tell a business owner you have to participate, you wouldn't tell a Muslim or a Jewish caterer that they had to make pork for someone's function. I'll go the other side of it. Um, I'm going to be on Friday. I'm going to be at the Right to Life March on Friday. Let's say there's a catered event for the Right to Life March, and the people there from Right to Life went to a caterer and said, we are going to have a fundraiser the night before, and we're going to raise money uh, for the Right to Life issue and legislation that would ban abortion. Um, And the caterer says, I am adamantly pro-choice, and I do not want to take part in a fundraiser that raises money to stop women's access to abortion. Should that caterer be forced to cook for an event they absolutely have no belief in and disagree with? And why, if that, if you say, well, in that case, no, why is somebody else a protected class? There's a difference between saying we don't want a gay couple to come into our restaurant and eat a meal and participating in an event like a wedding that we don't believe is proper. And you aren't damaged because you can go to somebody else and have them make your cake. I'm just giving you my common sense beliefs. So this issue of the First Amendment and the right to free speech, I'm a huge believer. And my final thing I'll say about it is I'll go back to the, the stand-up comedy thing. I believe it's stand-up comedy. I believe it's people that are irreverent with their humor that make you laugh at things you know you shouldn't laugh at that will save the First Amendment because – it is also objective when you when you listen to someone. One joke makes you laugh so hard you can't believe you're laughing at it, and then they can tell a joke that you think crossed the line. And the person next to you is laughing really hard at that joke, and you think they're insensitive for laughing at it. And here you are just a minute ago laughing at something else that somebody else thought was amazingly insensitive. That's the bu- the brilliance and the beauty in this, and that's why the First Amendment is so important. In a moment, is school choice costing taxpayers too much money? That's the charge from opponents. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, coming up in the final hour of the show at 11.05, we are going to talk about uh, the economy. We had a great interview with Kristen Bentz this morning, head of KB Advisory Group. She's also a fill-in host here at the radio station, and she's just a, an expert when it comes to not just what the economy's doing, but what it means and what it's going to do. So we're going to reset part of that interview and let you hear what, some, what she had to say about some of the very big things that are important to you. Uh, 1120, we're going to do, did you hear this like we always do? And we're going to finish off talking about the border with the new statistic that says more than half of Americans are now in favor of building a wall at our southern border. We finish off this hour by talking about education. This headline to me, now the fact that this is written by two governors is what's absurd to me. That you would be in that position would know better that this would not be the kind of path you would take. But this is writing to a very small narrow group of people about education. Welcome to the new GOP's education agenda. Loot our public schools for private vouchers. That is written to the DNC. That is written to the Democratic parties because that's who they're writing to, their base. And the reason why this is an issue 
is the teachers' unions hate school choice. They like the power and the control and the money being exactly where they are in the school districts. School districts are losing money. Now, I'm not saying a bad thing about any particular school district, but Mesa Public Schools, I think Mesa MPS is the largest school district in Arizona, I believe. Um, But if not, it's one of the largest uh, they have uh, they are losing money because enrollment is down. Well, enrollment is down for a number of reasons. It could be demographics. It could be others. But we also know the popularity. And this is not a partisan popularity. Parents like school choice. They like charter schools. They like micro schools that some of them like to homeschool their children. Micro schools and homeschooling have gained in popularity by huge numbers in the last 15 or 20 years. Uh, We also know that they like the option of private schools as well. And so giving a family, and I'm going to go down a different road momentarily for this. Watching my youngest brother get a scholarship to a school that's very similar to a Brophy. It is a Catholic school considered to be a college prep school that had extremely, uh, they were extremely good in athletics. My brother went on an academic scholarship to a prep school. He was the most improved student in his middle school and was given an opportunity to go to this school that my family could have never afforded. We were the poor kids at that school or so one of the poor families at that school. He was, I coached. His life changed. My brother is the first one, including my cousins, the first one in our family to graduate from college. He graduated with honors. You cannot tell me that the life experience in a school or academics were an expectation, that they were a focus, didn't give him an opportunity that he wouldn't have otherwise had. Why shouldn't, with the school choice that we have, with parents being able to take real tax dollars attached to their children and put them, even in a private school setting, well, then the knock is, well, Mike, rich families are doing it. Well, rich families pay taxes too. Why shouldn't a family be able to take their tax dollars that that go to their child's education and spend those education dollars in the way that they see best suit their child? Rich, poor, black, white, doesn't matter. Why shouldn't a parent be able to do that? That's the battle. They're going to say it's rob public schools. It isn't robbing public schools. I will tell you that there are some wealthy families that would always put their kids in a private school. But there are other families that would be happy to have their children. I know families that have one child in a private school and another one in a public school or homeschool versus a micro school versus a charter school. It depends on a child's individual needs. So the idea that you're going to go down the road of expense Let's talk about how much money there is in a surplus in the Arizona public schools. It's a story that's going to be coming out if anybody's willing to tell it very soon, that there are school districts that have surpluses of money, money they're sitting on that they don't want to spend. But aside from that, I believe in spending more money. I really do. If the teacher is a good teacher, they should make more money. We should pay teachers to keep teachers. I will tell you, though, the throwing money at the problem has not been a solution. That now when you start saying to school districts, you're going to start losing students and you're going to start losing money with those students if you don't start catering to the needs of those students. And you look at the change in the way it's going now. You listen to how different school districts are now talking to parents and saying, hey, look at what we're doing in this district and how we are recovering from learning loss. And look how much we've jumped in test scores and look at how much better we're performing. It's exactly what schools are supposed to do. And school choice is partly responsible for that. 
They don't like to hear it. They want to blame this on one political party's agenda. Why would anybody want to destroy the public school system? Nobody wants to destroy schools. We want schools to perform at a high level. And competition breeds high-level performance. And it's working. And it's going to continue to work. And it's not going anywhere. So they can write these stories, but it's not going to work. All right, just after 11 o'clock. A drop in durable good orders. What does it mean? What is the economy doing? Where is it going? And what's going to happen? You'll hear from an expert coming up next.